Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Top Docs Radio, brought to you by Medical Association of Georgia. With over 7,800 physician members, MAG is pleased to advocate on behalf of Georgia's patients and physicians. Visit mag.org and on Twitter at mag1849. Join the conversation on Twitter at Top Docs on BRX. Hello, everyone. It is CW. Thank you for checking out the Top Docs radio show. It was the fourth Tuesday of the month, which means we were continuing our series with the Medical Association of Georgia. And if you are a physician or other healthcare professional who bills Medicare for services you deliver to your patients, you are going to want to check out this week's episode. I hosted Dr. Kimberly Rask, physician and PhD, chief data officer for Alliant Health Solutions. They're a nonprofit company that supports quality improvement in the public sector healthcare programs under Medicare, Medicaid, and end-stage renal disease networks across the southeastern United States. Kimberly came by to talk about the value-based payment modifier system. It's a relatively new pay-for-performance program being utilized by CMS to pay physicians and other healthcare professionals who bill CMS for care they deliver based partly on how their quality and cost compare to other physicians and providers. It's similar to other pay-for-performance initiatives for hospitals, nursing homes, and other home health agencies, and it's a part of a larger effort by public and private payers to control healthcare costs. And although the value modifier started as part of the Affordable Care Act, more recent federal legislation has expanded its reach. Kimberly got into how Medicare uses the value modifier program to adjust physician pay based on quality and cost measures, which can vary by specialty. She also shared some very important information on reporting requirements that apply to all physicians now. So you're really going to want to pay attention to that part. Make sure you're in compliance because it can have significant effects on your rates of reimbursement for the care you're delivering today. So stick around for the full interview with Dr. Kimberly Rask talking about how the value-based payment modifier program is going to affect how your practicers reimburse. Check it out. Hello, everyone. It is C.W. Hall. Thanks for joining us here on the Top Docs Radio Show. We appreciate you joining us. It's our ongoing series with Medical Association of Georgia. I've been really pleased to have them as partners. And today we're going to be talking about a subject that I, I know I personally have a measure of interest in. Since the Affordable Care Act began to be implemented, we certainly began to hear more about value-based payments and, and using quality outcomes as a measure to determine how much physicians and, and healthcare providers providers are reimbursed for the care they deliver. And we're going to be getting into that with an expert on the subject. Dr. Kimberly Rask is with us from Alliant Health Solutions, and we're going to start learning all things value-based payments. So thanks for taking some time, Dr. Rask. Oh, thank you for asking me. And so let's talk a little bit before we get into that about your your background, because you're a doctor times two, as I understand. I am. Um, I was trained as a general internist, um, actually in Atlanta in the Emory programs. And after I finished my residency, I went back to graduate school and got a PhD in health economics. I was very interested in how financing and reimbursement systems affected the d- way we deliver health care. And so I spent some years looking at that and since then have been focusing on quality improvement and helping physicians and other healthcare providers understand the payment systems and be able to really provide high quality care and be reimbursed for doing so. Well, I was really intrigued as we began to hear more about value-based payment as a way of trying to 
put a little bit more focus on how the patient does, not necessarily, I guess, sort of along the lines of what they've complained about Wall Street, the people that, you know, get paid whether we do well financially or not. And I guess somewhat the thought is behind this particular approach to trying to ensure that the folks that are delivering care are making sure they do everything they can uh, to deliver care efficiently, uh, but also to achieve the best patient outcome that they possibly can as, as a factor in how much we get paid. And the basic premise, as I understand it, is if we achieve certain measures, then we can maybe be reimbursed a little bit more than than we had initially thought as far as um, our, our agreed upon payment rates. And now we're talking about CMS and, and Medicare as the basis of our conversation here, the, the federally funded programs uh, for reimbursement. But the, similarly, if my outcomes on certain measures are a little bit less than was anticipated, then I might be reimbursed at a little bit lesser rate. Am I on the right track? Right. You're, you're exactly right. What you're seeing is that traditionally, both the public health insurance programs, so we're talking about CMS. So CMS is the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And that's the part of the federal government that administers both the Medicare program, which is for U.S. citizens that are either disabled or over age 65, and the Medicaid program, which is a combination federal and state program that varies across all states. And we've certainly been hearing a lot about Medicaid and other discussions, um, but Medicaid is a little bit less influenced by what we're going to be talking about today in terms of the value-based payments. So let's first think about CMS as of the administrator for the Medicare program. Traditionally, the way physicians and all healthcare providers were paid was, as you described, being paid for doing something, for um, doing a test, for performing a physical exam, for taking care of a hospitalization. And how much a physician or any other provider was paid was independent of what happened during that encounter. Um, the more things you did in general, the more you were paid for. Mm -hmm. And whether or not a good outcome was had or a poor outcome was had, the payment was the same. Over the last 20 years, we've seen that focus change. And both the public providers, such as Medicare, but also our private insurers are putting more and more programs out there that try and connect how a patient does and whether or not the services that a patient receives are recommended for their condition and use that to influence how the payment is, to try and encourage the provision of high-quality care to all folks. The value modifier is a way of taking our traditional way of being paid, what we call fee-for-service, paid for what you do, and adjust that payment based upon quality indicators and based upon cost indicators. This is new to physicians. This is only the second year of the program for physicians, which is why yeah. we're hearing a lot of attention. But our colleagues who work in hospitals or nursing homes or home health or dialysis units have been working under similar programs for many years. So it's not new to healthcare, but it really is new to impacting the vast majority of physicians who've not necessarily seen this before. And as I understand it, this year, it's groups that are 10 or more professionals. Now, that's not just physicians, I guess. It's probably including extenders as well, like 
practitioners Correct. and PAs? Correct. It's it's any, there's a highly technical definition for it, but the way to think about it is it's anyone who can bill Medicare. So if you have someone in your practice who is not a physician but is eligible for bidding, billing me- Medicare, then they are what is considered eligible for this program. But for the most part, it's physicians and physician extenders, advanced practice nurses, PAs. And then next year, it's everybody. Next year, it's everybody. Even if you are in a solo practice, this will apply to you. Now, next year, the way the federal government has worked this, it's a phased-in program. So it started out first with the largest groups, and then every year, a new group is is sort of incorporated into the program. So by next year, it applies to everybody. But in that first year, physicians and eligible professionals who are in the smallest groups are not at risk of facing a penalty, but they do have the ability to get a bonus. I I know from having been a part of a physician practice for a number of years before being here in, in the studio on a more regular basis, whenever the topic of Medicare came up and, and reforming the way they reimburse, it always just felt like they were just trying to pay us less. Is this another part of that? Actually, this is one of the programs that that is absolutely not true. What is happening is that Medicare is calculating these cost and quality outcomes for individual physicians and using that calculation to decide uh, to divide that money among all physicians. So there are physicians that will get more money under this program and there are physicians that will get less money, but it is revenue neutral. Uh, There is nobody that's taking extra money away. And to understand the, the magnitude of that, this, this second year of the program, over $79 million were at risk under the value modifier, and that $70 million, $79 million were taken away from the practices that had the low-cost, uh, pardon me, low-quality, high-cost profiles and given to the practices which had the high-quality, low-cost profiles. So for a net-zero type approach, uh, back when I was in an operations role in a healthcare-related services office, the way we did our annual evaluations and raises, we had a set pool of money for increases for the next year. And so therefore, uh, and it amounted to, I think if I remember correctly, like 3% of total revenue. And so that means then if I give Dr. Rask 4%, that means there's 2% for another person. Is that kind of what we're talking about here? That it's weighted in that regard, that, that it's not necessarily possible for us all to improve our, our practices against these value measures and all of us get reimbursed a little bit more. Is that, is that what I'm hearing, basically? That is very fair. So every year, physician practice is compared to how all other physicians did around the country. We're going to get graded on a curve. We are, <laughs> we are graded across all other physicians. And it, the, the specifics of how they're grading it changes a little bit, but I think a couple things that are really important for people to understand is the way that the value modifier program is working right now, the vast majority of physicians, if they report their quality indicators, simply report the quality indicators, the vast majority end up in the middle neutral category of average cost, average quality. They may not see an incentive, but they will not see a penalty. What has really hurt the physicians who are being hurt this year is they did not report their quality measures. If you do not report the PQRS quality measures, you automatically lose 2% of your Medicare revenues. 
because you did not report PQRS, you automatically lose your value modifier, which will be either 2% or 4%. Once we know, once the federal government knows who all is losing that value modifier in PQRS money because they did not report, that money is put into a pot and is shared by all the physicians who had high quality relative to other physicians. So this year, the physicians that were in that high quality group are seeing bonuses of 16 to 32 percent. Wow. Depending on how sick their Medicare patients are. Yeah, it's huge. That's very impressive. I would have not guessed it to be anywhere in that neighborhood. And when we talk about the PQRS, the, the, the quality metrics, talk about that a little bit so that the physician out there that is listening to us, maybe they fall into that group. They, they didn't report on those. Talk about what those are and how we go about reporting them so that at a minimum, we're, we're at least getting our contracted amount of reimbursement for our services to deliver. And then from there, they can certainly work to try to jump into that bonus range if they can. But how do we, how, what do we need to report and how do we go about that? Okay, sure. Um, first, to put it, I'll put a little bit of an umbrella over it. There are really three different programs that are impacting physicians right now. So one is the PQRS, which is reporting the quality measures. The second is meaningful use, which is about using the electronic health records. And the third is this new value modifier program. So in terms of PQRS program and and reporting quality indicators, there are over 200 measures that physicians can choose from. Generally speaking, any one physician or physician group needs to report on around nine CMS has worked with medical specialty groups across the country to to ensure that there are enough quality measures that are relevant to your practice that makes sense for you to report on based upon the patients that you take care of. And we see more and more of them being added every year. But it is important for physicians, number one, to look at what eligible quality measures are out there and which might be most relevant to their practice. Two, there are very specific methods that they can report those measures, and how you can report it depends a little bit on the size of your group and perhaps the capabilities of your electronic health record if you have one. There's a lot of information about this. I would recommend that um, anyone who's interested in more of the details on PQRS reporting go to our website, www.alliantquality.org, and we have a whole special section there on physician reporting with Um, one-page overviews with PowerPoints that walk you through how to do the reporting, tell you how to sign up, where the proper locations are on the CMS website. There are some highly technical specifications, and I know that some of your future programs are going to go into more of those details. But the important thing for physicians and all providers to remember is that you must report those measures. If you go ahead and report them, Register online, identify the measures that are right for your practice, report for the time period that's required, then you meet the requirement of reporting PQRS. For that program, it does not, it's not relevant what your outcomes are or what the exact value of your quality measure is. What matters is that you simply report. I think it's interesting that I get to choose which ones I report. It would seem that we would over time have identified particular areas. I don't know whether it's that we are doing follow-up visits for diabetics to maintain a better you know, management of A1Cs, for example, or mm-hmm. things like that. It would seem like we would have identified over time particular components of those metrics that we could 
focus on and say, okay, I want you to report how you're doing here because we want to shore this up. It seems that gives me the chance to kind of put my thumb on the scales just a little bit. And I pick ones where I'm, I know I'm really doing well. Doing well. I, I think that's a very good point. I think what you're reflecting is the fact that this is a relatively new program and a new way yeah. of approaching payment. Yeah. So we are still at the point of finding just what those right measures are. Mm -hmm. I think that you will see going forward maybe a little bit more of a prescriptive nature whereby mm -hmm. uh, right now physicians are required to report a certain number of measures that go across different areas. So you can't pick only one area to choose a measure from and you have to pick some measures which show how well you coordinate care with other healthcare providers, for example. So I suspect that we'll probably see a little bit more honing down of that list so that mm. it'll no longer be 300 options. But I also think there's some sensitivity on the part of CMS to be sure that there's a measure there that applies to everyone. All doctors see different patients, and especially if we think about all the many different specialties as well as general providers, it does become challenging to find one measure that might tell you, yes, this is providing high-quality care. So I expect we'll see that continue to be refined going into the future. Um, and right now, I think it's good that there are so many options. Talking with Dr. Kimberly Rast, she's the Chief Data Officer for Alliant Health Solutions and also an expert in quality and, as we're talking about here, the value-based payments and how they affect a medical practice. Can you give a, an example of some of the types of quality measures that we're talking about that, that we're trying to monitor? Right. So uh, some examples of a, a PQRS quality measure might be how well patients with high blood pressure have their blood pressure controlled? How many of the patients with known high blood pressure have a normal high, uh, pardon me, have a normal blood pressure, are either being treated appropriately with medications as they need it or are being managed effectively with diet and lifestyle? Some other measures talk about how well are we as physicians communicating with other people or other physicians or other healthcare providers caring for our patients? Are we sharing information with other providers that are taking care of our patients? Some of the measures are patient satisfaction measures. How do our patients say about the care that we're delivering? Do they say that we have communicated well? Do they say that they can reach us when they need help? Those are the kinds of measures that you see out there. And so those would be some of the things that I would be potentially selecting to choose from. It seems like with the with the opportunity to have a hand in what I'm reporting, it would seem that as much as anything, it's getting me used to reporting. And then, as you mentioned, as we gain more data on problem areas, then I guess then they may start to say, well, these are the things we want to have specific information on. And I guess with more and more practices being on EMRs. I don't know if this year it was 100%, but I, I, I thought that by this year we had to, everybody had to be using electronic rec medical records. Is that where we're at right now? Well, we're getting close in terms of in, in terms of the meaningful use program in order to not have a penalty. Physicians are required to have the electronic health records. I think we certainly know uh, that it is not at 100%. Mm -hmm. uh, and it will be increasingly difficult, I think, for physician offices to not have electronic health records and be able to be successful um, in any of these programs, Medicare as well as private health insurers. The other thing that I would point out is in terms of the 
what we've been talking about in terms of the quality reporting that physicians report themselves from their practice, that's the PQRS program. If we look at the quality components that are in the value modifier or the value-based payment for, for physicians, that also includes some quality measures that are calculated by CMS based upon looking at the Medicare data the billings for Medicare patients seen by each individual physician. So in that case, if one of your concerns is, does somebody have a thumb on the scale, that's going to be actually what services were delivered. And there are things that we can look for through the billing data, for example, to your example of appropriate follow-up to show whether or not someone who had a particular condition did get what is the recommended follow-up. They also use the Medicare claims data to look at hospitalization rates for conditions that we know can be prevented Mm -hmm. and use that as a quality indicator. They look at um, readmission. So if you've been into the hospital and you're discharged and you're readmitted back in within 30 days, that might be a sign that you didn't get what you needed when you were in the community. Maybe you needed more assistance. Maybe you didn't understand your medications. And as a result, you suffered a complication and ended up back in the hospital. So CMS is using the Medicare data to calculate those kinds of quality measures. And that goes into the value modifier. So, so- it it, it it also affects that PQRS, the bonus, whether or not I get that or not. I guess if I'm really going to be one of those doctors you were talking about that's going to get more than a 10%, you talked about as much as 30% of a bonus, then I guess that assumes then that they are clearly doing well on some of these measures that you're talking about, where they're looking at my billing and, and being able to evaluate how often my patients are getting readmitted or as you talked about, getting admitted for things where essentially if we're managing them well, my blood pressure is not going to send me to the hospital, ideally. Right. That is is exactly right. So that is a big component of the quality part of the value modifier. And that will determine whether or not you get that bonus, as we said, this year as high as the 16 to 32%, having to do well on those measures. The other component is the value modifier has two pieces, one of which is the quality. And so we've talked about that. That's the PQRS plus what CMS calculates. And then the second component of the value modifier is how the costs for the patients that you take care of compare to healthcare costs for other Medicare beneficiaries. And so that is entirely done by CMS based upon your Medicare data and your billings. So they will look at the total cost for the year for Medicare beneficiaries that you took care of, not just the care that you yourself provided, but all of the care that was received by that Medicare beneficiary. And based upon that, compare you to other physicians with a risk adjustment based on the conditions, the health conditions that your patients have, compare you to Medicare beneficiaries that are seen by other doctors and make a determination whether on average, the care that your patients receive is high cost, average cost, or low cost. And it's that combination of high cost, average cost, low cost, and high quality, average quality, low quality that'll decide whether you're in the group that has money taken away or the group that gets extra money. So when we're looking at these measures over a period of time, what 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 time in arrears are we looking at? Are we looking at a quarter? Are we looking at a year? What what's the how far back are we looking to determine what my rate of reimbursement is? going forward and how, how far forward does it affect? Do you follow me? Oh, absolutely. And that is a critical, critical question. And one of the number one things that is important for physicians and physician practices to understand, these programs work on a two-year delay. And some of that is because it simply takes time to get that quality data in, analyze it, and then be able to decide how 
providers compare to each other. So right now in 2016, the bonuses or penalties that any physician or physician group is receiving is based on what they did in 2014. Mm. What that means also then is that what penalties or bonuses you're eligible for next year has already been determined. It is based on what happened with your patients in 2015. Now, what that means is even though that's already done, that can't be changed, physicians and their practices can go out to a CMS-provided website and see what their data looks like. And if they want to know how they're comparing on these measures, that information is there. And if you go to our website, we have the links for how to access that. But CMS provides you the information on exactly which patients they counted towards you, how you did on the quality and cost measures that are calculated by CMS. They, you already know what your PQRS measures were, but they can tell you how you looked on those other CMS-calculated measures so that you as a provider have an idea on how this might impact you in 2017. So does the data get shown to me somewhat in the format like I might see a standardized testing result for my kid from school? Do you see what I'm saying? Where it gives me percentiles and different mm-hmm. things like that. It shows me against uh, a, a population. Where do I rank against the rest of my peers? Is that how it's given to me? That is. It is given to you. I, I would like to say that it is as straightforward and simple to interpret as the child's testing <laughs> report, but I we're talking would, about that, the government here. That would so. not be accurate, given that I would say the reports are 20 plus pages long quite often. So wow. it's it's not that simple, but it begins with summaries. But I do think what's good about it not being that simple is it means they're also providing you with a lot of the details. So if you want to kind of dig in, if you're not pleased with how you're ranking out on the quality or cost indicators, there's the detail in those reports to figure out exactly why not. And even to the point when we've talked about the, if you remember when I mentioned the cost figures, those are not just the costs of what you as an individual provider provided to that patient. It's all the costs of all the care that they received. And the idea is that if you see that patients that are going to a particular other provider are perhaps getting low-quality, high-cost care, maybe you as a physician want to recommend different partners for the care of that patient, different providers who will help you provide high-quality, low-cost care. So those reports give you that kind of detail to see how your partners so are contributing. I, so if I'm managing patient Smith, then I can look at my report and I can actually see Dr. Jones's contribution on that patient's life cycle, if you will, during that reporting period and how they also stack up similarly, particularly around how much their care costs on some sort of cost per such and such, whatever they, however they report it. But is that what you're saying? I can actually see the other multi-specialty members of my patient's team, if you will? Not specifically at the name level. It is okay. important. I mean, CMS keeps this information confidential so that de-identified, oh, de-identified yeah. so that only you as the individual physician provider or practice group can see your own data. But what they do is they give you the where the categories for where the other costs are coming from for your patient's care so that you can see what kind of entities and what kinds of groups are contributing to those costs. And probably if you know your own practice and referral right. patterns, yeah. then you can infer. But I do want to be clear, yes. you will not 
you cannot look at your report and see what Dr. Dr. Rass Jones, is doing. Dr. Jones, you so-and-so, you cost me 2%. Exactly. It's not, not that kind of thing. It's simply to give you the information based on your referral patterns. What does it look like? So what have you seen in terms of a good example or good practices for the physician's office that really wants to be proactive around these measures. I mean, this is a reality. It's not anything that whether we like it or not, it's not anything that we can hide from. So have you seen examples of practices getting proactive and taking more of a, I don't know if you want to call it a preventive approach, but just trying to make sure that they are touching these bases in a way that they're guarding costs of their delivery of care and also addressing important measures that will help them be on that positive side rather than the negative side. Sure. Yes, I do. I think we've seen a couple of things that I would recommend. First of all, report, report, report the quality measures. That's that's the, the straightforward message. It does take some time at the beginning to think about what are the right measures for your practice that you want to report. And then you need to figure out how within your team in your office, who's the right person with a skill set to be able to do that reporting accurately and also in a way that can be cost effective for you as a practice. Look at whether or not any of, if you have an electronic health record, is your does your health el- electronic health record have the capacity to do some of that reporting in a way that makes it simple? There are many registries that help facilitate the reporting of those quality measures and can offer some recommendations, particularly for certain specialty groups or certain diseases. If you're looking for measures around diabetes, there may be a registry that can help make that process easier for you. Second, think about this as not being a quality reporting program in isolation, but also part of what is the continuous focus in your practice on ensuring that you are providing high-quality care every day, which is something that your practice is focused on every day. This quality reporting can be one of the pieces that helps you document that, yes, we are getting the outcomes we want. What I often find is I think that I do a lot of things that I don't actually do as often as I think I do them. Um, and we can I could take the example if my Fitbit wasn't there to tell me how many steps I really took. I promise you that I have a very different vision of what happens. This I, thing ain't working right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know what I want to I do, it. and we all know what we intend to do, but it, it measuring really makes a difference and really proves that, yes, are we really doing this as close to 100% of the time as we believe, or in fact, are there places that we're missing? And then by measuring that, can we make the processes within our offices work a little bit better to do it um, more often? I think it's important to also next understand that these programs are staying in this same general framework and focus, but they will change a little every year. So it's going to be important that somebody in the practice is keeping an eye on that. Uh, CMS has regular newsletters, regular e-alerts, regular webinars, and I know everybody has plenty on their plates, but it really is worthwhile in a practice to have somebody who's keeping an eye about the things that may influence your practice and how you can be successful at these quality and cost measures. And given the two-year time period, it is really critical to be looking ahead because right now in 2016, what we're doing this year is going to determine what we're paid in 2018. And we may not know where we're going on vacation in 2018, but we do know that we're not going to get paid well in 2018 if we don't do it right this year. (laughs) Do they usually, the practices, are they typically utilizing practice manager, who's usually being given the responsibility of handling this reporting? Because as you said, one, whether we do it or not is, is very important, but it sounds like the better we do it, 
it's also going to come into play. So who do they typically task for that? That's an important question. I know that you're going to have a, a speaker later um, in the few who, who has a, a lot more hands-on in a practice setting that may have some more specific recommendations. What I would say from what I've seen is we see, depending on the size of the practice and the the mix of the staff, we'll see a range of some places where the physician does almost all the reporting, often uh, perhaps a lead nurse manages the reporting or practice manager I think are some of the more typical models that I've seen. What's the schedule around which we are doing this reporting? How frequently am I pushing this data to CMS? There are, you're asking me all the difficult questions. I wish I could just <laughs> tell you there's one way. Yes. And, this is, and this is why, again, I would refer um, any listeners to the um, materials that are available. It actually depends, and it changes a little bit every year, for what time period you need to report for, as well as the number of patients that you need to report on. And some of this is determined by the method that you use to report, as well as the specific measures that you report on. It's a little bit different if you're using your electronic health record. It's different if you're reporting directly as an individual physician. So I I can't say it's a one-size-fits-all. What I will say is there has been some interest on the part of um, the federal government to perhaps compact down some of these time periods so that the reporting may be done more in depth over a smaller time period. There are advantages to that, and I can I understand initially why that can also be very attractive to physicians or practices. For physicians or practices that are small, there's some disadvantages to that in that you may have small numbers to report. And when you're reporting small numbers, how you perform on an outcome measure may really jump around a lot. So I think there's a, um, we just have to remember there's some disadvantages to those shorter time Mm -hmm. periods. There are times when it might be better to report over a longer time Mm -hmm. period, even if it is more effort. Kind of like taking a quiz of 10 questions versus a test with 100 is what you're saying. If I miss one versus the other, then it has a greater impact just because the numbers we're applying it to. Very interesting. As far as where they go from here, I mean, do you have advice for the the physicians out there? I mean, do you feel like that it's effective enough to have that in office person, or do you is there a point at which you think it might be advisable to maybe have some sort of an outside resource that helps you through this process? Given the fact that it can have such a significant financial impact, I mean, many practices will have. 30, 40, 50, even 60 percent or more Medicare as part of their patient population. So it's obviously a pretty significant financial impact as to how much I make uh, for reimbursement. So do you have any thoughts on when it might make sense to have some sort of an outside expert that kind of helps you through this process? Well, I think I, I think that's a good question. I think that the program has been set up so that it does not require someone to to use an outside vendor. I think that it is worthwhile looking for each practice to look as we move forward. If, if, if they've made investments in electronic health records, there are going to be more and more opportunities to be doing single point reporting through electronic health records and the capacity of any software that a practice looks at. I think it's really useful to see whether or not that's going to be able to be harnessed for this quality reporting. And I think that's where I see most of the ability of a practice to kind of get a handle on this and make this less 
um, complicated. The the thing I would also keep in mind as we're thinking about we're talking about one program, um, the CMS Value Modifier Program and PQRS, and I'm sure that anyone in a practice out there listening to this is also thinking about, well, okay, fine, that works for CMS, but how about for Blue Cross and how about for Anthem Mm. and how about for the accountable care organization I'm in and the other and so on. So this isn't a one solution in isolation. And my message would be philosophically and operationally in your practice, thinking about how you can report quality measures efficiently and regularly, as well as ensuring that those quality measures demonstrate the high quality that you provide is going to be important, is an important problem to solve, and it's going to impact all your payers. And I would not want to recommend that there's one solution out there that's going to be the best one. I think it will really depend on how this keeps moving and the individual characteristics of your practice. But the more you pay attention to it now, the better positioned you will be to figure out and identify the solution that's going to help you be successful. Well, clearly, if you're listening, you're one of the physicians that we serve with our information. You want to make sure, if nothing else, that you are reporting these these quality measures that Kimberly was talking about earlier at a minimum just to get you to that net, net neutral space in terms of the reimbursement. So you're at least getting contracted amounts. But if uh, if you really want to step up, then there's ways that you can actually set about to improve some of those patient outcomes and then enhance uh, the, the reimbursement that your practice will be qualified for. Clearly, big things around improving the outcomes for your patients as well as uh, managing the financial viability of your practice. So I really appreciate you taking some time, Kimberly, to come by and share this information. Oh, happy to. And if folks want more information about Alliant, that, as she said, Alliant Health is at AlliantHealth.org. Um, she mentioned several resources that they provide for you to have access to links that will take you to information that is vital in terms of um, making sure you're compliant with these various programs. Um, if you uh, are not yet a member of Medical Association of Georgia, strongly encourage you to learn more about what they're doing on behalf of the physicians and patients in the state of Georgia advocating for the best environment possible for you and your patients. Uh, you can go to mag.org and get more information about Medical Association of Georgia and all the things that they have going on there and even participate in having a voice in in what our legislative uh, landscape looks like around how we deliver healthcare in the state of Georgia. So I want to say thanks so much to the folks at Medical Association of Georgia, Tom Cornegay, Susan Moore, Lori Murphy, and of course, Donald Pomisano Jr. over there. Um, they've been a great partner with us here, and I really enjoy sharing their information. And Dr. Rask, I really appreciate you making some time to come out and, and share this information with our with our folks today. Quite happy to. And really, again, encourage, as you mentioned, go to our website. We have a lot of resources available there. And we also have the links to several federally funded programs that are available to help physicians and physician practices navigate these systems and be successful at them. So I encourage anyone who's interested to please go to the website and take a look at what's there. If you are listening to us by podcast today, Make sure you go to the upper left-hand corner of the Top Docs Radio Show page. You'll see the Apple logo there. It'll take you over to the iTunes store where the Top Docs Radio Show podcast lives and subscribe to us so that the new episode is waiting for you when it comes out on your device. You can listen to it in the car on the way to work, walking the dog, whatever the case may be for you. And we hope you turn around and share this information with your social media networks. That's how one of the big ways we really get this information out. And clearly, if you have some friends who are physicians um, and and or healthcare providers working in physician practices, it's very, very important that they know this information. So we hope you share it and we'll say thanks in advance for that. 
Thanks for making some time to join us in the studio. Well, thank you for having me. And everybody out there who made us a part of your day today, really want to say thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. I'm looking forward to seeing you all same time, same place next week. We'll see you then. 